0: Greetings brethren, good to be here at the Feast of Tabernacles. Some years ago my wife and I had the pleasure, the pleasure of spending three days camping with our brethren in Montana, central Montana, along the Missouri River, that's the beginning of the Missouri River that flows north before it flows to east and south. And of course as uh, typically with our brethren and with the campouts, we had great food, uh, lively fellowship, a lot of good things going on there, Sabbath services, and a beautiful float on the river uh, the next day down the Missouri River. There were a few RVs, but mostly it was tent camping, and uh, some of you know about tent camping. Some of the RVs had the, the comforts of home, but our tent camping was a lot more primitive. majority of us set up tents uh, uh, around the perimeter, and we were hoping it wouldn't rain, <laughs> You know, when you're camping, of course, you don't want it to rain, and the weather forecast said it was going to rain, but we were hoping otherwise that it wouldn't rain. Well, as it turned out, this was one of the unfortunate times when the weather forecast was accurate, and uh, Saturday on the Sabbath, uh, we had normal services, but Saturday night after dinner and a warm campfire, enjoying the campfire that evening, we all headed to bed for the shelter of our tents at the time, and snuggled into our sleeping bags, and of course, soon thereafter, as you can imagine, a driving rain began, and it wasn't long before water started kind of seeping in through the seams of at least our tent, the tent of my wife and I that we were staying in, and after a little while, there becomes a drip, 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 (laughs) And, and that's kind of the refrain you don't want to hear when you're camping, as you know. Somewhat like a leaking faucet, it kind of wears on you a little bit, that drip, drip, drip. Kind of an irritating sound, but it's unstoppable. You can fiddle with it and move the sides of the tent, but usually it's unstoppable. Pools of water began to form soon thereafter on the floor of our tent, as everything on the tent slowly but surely got a little bit damp, including the edges of our sleeping bags. Now, that's something you don't want. Wet sleeping bags mean the temperature slowly seeps out of you. Well, we got through the night, and the next day after our float trip, we started home. We started home from Montana on our way back to California. We loaded up our semi-wet equipment, sleeping bags, and all the rest in the back of the van. You know, with the feast at that time, uh, that particular time only a few weeks away, we were then reminded... Now, the Feast of Tabernacles are Temporary Dwellings, as we know, Feast of Temporary Dwellings. Our tent was made quite well. I thought it was made quite well, cost enough, but was never meant to last forever. In driving rains, I suppose some people seal the seams. I didn't, but uh, this particular tent, uh, even though kind of expensive, after a few years of use, seams begin to give a little bit, they stretch a little bit here, they stretch a little bit there, they fray a little bit, sometimes there's a few punctures on the floor when you walk in, you drag things in, uh, maybe a little pebbles and this and that, and after a while there are a few fabric tears, always happens with tents in due time, from the pressure of the tent poles, extra pressure uh, under the load, and so it goes with tents. You take camping, and you hope they last a while, but inevitably, they start to wear out. They start to fray in due time. And in a similar way, so is the temporary nature of our bodies. These shells that we live in, where our physical lives are centered, slowly but surely, things begin to fray a little bit over the years, begin to wear out. We live in these temporary physical bodies until they eventually completely wear out, as we're designed, and we long for something. I think all of us, especially the older we get, we long for something more permanent. We just naturally want something more permanent. We want uh, a body, hopefully, and we know it will, it will last, it will not leak, as we see physically, and according to God's plan, in time, it's we are going to, that is, our Temporary bodies are going to be replaced by something permanent that will last forever, that will not fray, that will not uh, dim with age and fade with age, as happens with us. And here we are at the Feast of Tabernacles, where we probably most often think of, of the coming millennium, of course, during this period of time, and we begin to enjoy a little bit of the abundance of our second tithe And of the millennial abundance we look forward to in the kingdom of God, in the family of God. But we should also remember, equally significant to the meeting of the Feast of Tabernacles, the name Feast, Tabernacles, Feast of Tabernacles, why not the Feast of the Kingdom? Why not the Feast of the Kingdom, of the coming kingdom of God, for example? Well, Tabernacles... The word tabernacle summarizes one of the most significant meanings of this feast and what we think about in transition from this life to the next, from this age to the next. And of course, we find that introduced in Leviticus chapter 23. So we'll turn there, Leviticus 23, and beginning in verse 39, 2339. And it says, And also on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, When you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days, and on the first day there shall be a Sabbath rest, and on the eighth day a Sabbath rest, so that last day, that last great day, a Sabbath rest, and you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of the beautiful trees, branches of palm trees and and boughs of leafy trees of different parts of God's creation. And willows of the brook that grow along the brook, their rivers, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. Of course, every year. And it shall be a statute forever in your generations, and you shall celebrate it in the seventh month. So they put up temporary structures of greenery, of God instructed, there are booths of greenery, verse 42, and you shall dwell in booths for the seven days, now the word translated, the Hebrew word translated uh, booth or booths, Strong's reference 5521, sukkah, defined as a booth, a pavilion, tabernacle, or tent. Think about that, a tabernacle or a tent. In other words, a temporary dwelling structure. Verse 43, nothing permanent. In other words, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths. They were temporary in their transition. When I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I am the Lord your God. It's a reminder of his might and his power. I am the Lord your God. And in verse forty three, the same word Suka is translated here, refers to living in tents during the forty years of wandering. I would imagine that a lot of them got quite tired of the dusty, dirty tents. They probably carried with them quite a bit of dust and the rare rain that occurred. Probably didn't clean the tents on the outside anyway much. But why name? This most joyous feast, the feast of, of tents, seems kind of when we think about the feast of tabernacles or we, when we think about the kingdom of God we think of permanence. We call this the feast of tents or tabernacles. Well, second Corinthians, let's look at some of the spiritual implication. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse one, second Corinthians five one. And it says, for we know that our earthly house, this tent. And we see a word translated tent here again. The Greek word translated tent, Strong's reference 4636, 4636 rather, means a hut or a temporary residence, a tabernacle. So a temporary residence. And we know then that if our temporary residence, are hut, this tent is destroyed, King James says dissolved, our physical bodies, we know, a house, of course, our spirit and God's spirit if we're converted, and sooner or later our bodies will dissolve. That's the way life is, that's the way we're genetically programmed, not to live for the forever in the flesh. I don't think any of us would want to, as we get older, we get aches and pains, or our struggles in life, degeneration, uh, especially as we age, and the elements of our body in due time. eh, When one dies, it goes back to the earth. Carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, various minerals, they all go back to the earth, kind of recycled in that way. And it says again, it says, "...a house not made with hands..." Eternal in the heavens. Might back up a a sentence here. And, And it says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building. I want to focus on the word building here. A building from God. And this building is a structure, an edifice in definition, connotating more permanence. We have something more permanent from God. We have something more permanent to look forward to, an edifice from God. It says, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, a house not made with hands, the Greek word translated house here does not mean tent. It does not mean something temporary. It means abode, residence, or family home, not like a tent or a camping tent that we used in Montana. So, Paul is telling us, that in the same way we stay in temporary residences, of course, here at the feast, as we do year by year, and we have a more permanent residence back at home. Uh, we live in more permanent dwellings in our individual cities, wherever we live. And our physical life fits this pattern in the exact same way. Yeah, it's, it's the same pattern the physical and the spiritual. So we can understand it, so it makes sense, so we can identify with it. Our permanent home is received at the beginning of the millennium, at at Christ's return. And when Christ returns, we're changed, we're resurrected, and we receive a new home. We receive a powerful spirit body at the very return of Christ. This temporary hut or tent we live in today, our individual bodies... They're exactly that. They are temporary. We know it. We, we experience it in our life. It's never intended to be impermanent, to be permanent. God never designed us to be permanent, to last forever. It grows old. We kind of fray a little bit. We wear out. Sometimes joints wear out. And eventually, our body is dissolved. It's the way of life and ultimately death and our bodies are recycled, we might say, and the elements of the earth, and we go back to the earth it, from whence we came. Humans have forever sought to escape the inevitable aging process, and that's been, that's been people's goals, that they would spend any amount of money to escape the aging process. Our tightly compacted energy of youth, we're energetic or younger, maybe wrinkle-free, and all the rest, always gives way. And we slowly show the evidence of the universal law of decay, where organized energy eventually disorganizes. It's it's the way of all life. It's the way of the universe, the second law of thermodynamics. We know that's the case. People age, they die. Um, Stars eventually burn out. Mountains erode, and they flatten out. All organized energy eventually disorganizes. But part of the tremendous good news of this very Feast of Tabernacles, this Feast of Tents, is that God is going to exchange our temporary aging bodies, slowly but surely, well, they wear out these tents as we look at it, we're going to exchange them for something permanent, for something lasting, not prone to the ravages of decay and time, and that's something exciting. We all we all know about, we all look forward to, and potentially just around the corner. We don't know exactly how many years, but if we finish our training in this life, this life is just training, nothing more. If we finish our training, we're going to exchange these temporary tw- tents for something permanent you know a house not made with hands so in the present we need to get our priorities straight we've got a limited few short years to finish our training we need to concentrate on building our permanent home that is so God will give us a permanent home continuing in 2nd Corinthians 5 and verse 2 it says, for in this we groan. Well, we all do groan from time to time. Sometimes I do. You know, getting out of bed. Maybe my lower back is a little bit sore. Maybe some aches and pains all of us have at times, to time, from time to time. Or there may be sicknesses that we experience. Physical limitations of all sorts. We all have them. We all get them in time. And our bodies tell us that these tents, they aren't permanent. We don't want them to be permanent. They are programmed genetically to age. They're not programmed for disease, but they are programmed to show the evidence of aging. And it reminds us, you know, we need to do something. If we want to, well, if we want to go beyond just simply six feet under at the end of our life, that we need to get busy, that we need to begin to build the character that God can use. In which case, he'll give us that permanent home, permanent habitation. Very powerful spirit bodies. Well, it says, for in this we grow, yes we do, earnestly desiring to be clothed, right? We like to have uh, permanent bodies to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. And the King James says, or translates it, a house from heaven. In other words, a residence. And refers to that permanent house, that powerful spirit body that that Jesus Christ is going to offer us if we finish our training. Verse 3. If indeed, having been clothed, if we're clothed with uh, righteous character, God's way of life, And we begin to think like God. God can use us. We trust Him. And ultimately then He trusts us because we trust Him. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. Of course, we know then, in a sense, this is a warning. If we aren't actively building our spiritual home now, or that is our character within, if we're we're not currently and actively building it, constructing godly character, following God's lead, by the power of his spirit leading us, not forcing us, God won't force us to do anything as far as developing character, but he leads us if we're willing. Well, if, if we're not in that process, if we're lukewarm about it, we may be found to be spiritually naked at Christ's return. In other words, lacking character. And that's something we don't want. We don't want to be naked. We don't want to lack character. We want to be fully clothed with righteousness. We want that permanent habitation, that spirit body, that powerful body that God will offer us at Christ's re- return. Reminds me of the scripture as another warning in Revelation 3. We all know that warning. And we think about in this age before Christ's return, Revelation 3 and verse 17. As as a reminder, Revelation 3:17, Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy. Some people think they're rich. They think they have a lot, of, a lot of knowledge, maybe a lot of understanding. And a person might think they have need of nothing. They don't, they don't need to be taught by anyone, or they don't need to change. They're, you might say they're rich spiritually. And do not know that you're wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Notice that word naked there, without the right kind of character, without the mind of God without the ability to make wise decisions, applying the laws of God. So, we find in verse 18, a warning, as Jesus Christ advises us, he counsels us, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, highly refined, pure gold, it's worth a lot, isn't it? That you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed. And we're talking about character again. We don't want to be naked. We want to be clothed. That the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. In other words, that you may see what you need to do. We all need to see what we need to change. We need to ask God to show us, you know, what we need to change in our life. See? Sometimes things we can't even see. Sometimes we won't admit it. We kind of know we have things to change, but we just don't face it. And we don't want to be found naked, so we need to kind of get in gear to get real in that sense, real with God, real with ourselves, to be fully clothed. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 5. So we're speaking of the fact that we don't want to be found naked, that is, without character. Let's go back to uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 4 this time. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 4, and we'll see a continuation of that thought. In verse 4, for we who are in this tent, we who are alive in our physical bodies, we're own. You think about that. Okay, yeah, we've got some burdens in life, things happen in our life, but you know, it goes with the territory. We're physical human beings. We, we live in Satan's world, and we kind of groan from time to time, being burdened. And you realize, well, yeah, that's true. We are burdened. We all have burdens. Hopefully, that they're not stumbling blocks to us. Hopefully, we see the big picture, and we're burdened at times with our own faults, our own failings, sometimes our own baggage we carry from our past. We haven't gotten rid of that baggage yet. Being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed. We don't want to throw off our clothes naturally. We want to be clothed. But further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Incredible that our physical mortality may be swallowed up by real life, eternal life. That is, if we really work at building our permanent home. The character that God wants us to have, the mind of God, the ability to make wise decisions that God himself would want us to make so he can trust us, so he can trust us with other people in our area of responsibility and guiding their lives so we'll have that outgoing concern to see them through, to see them succeed, you know, generation after generation through the millennium, have that earnest desire, that kind of outgoing concern. Well, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Tents, or Temporary Dwellings, should remind us then of the temporary nature of this life, and our life is temporary, it passes so quickly. You know, in our younger years, we kind of feel like we're going to live forever, and one gets into their middle years and eventually their latter years. And we realize, hey, I don't have a lot of time left. I mean, I might have 10, 20, 30 years left, but that's not a lot of time to finish, uh, let's say, the construction of the character of the great God. And this should motivate us to strive for what's permanent. It's part of the meaning of the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Tents. We're not permanent yet. In the millennium, we will be. We're not in the millennium. We're headed that direction. But we need to kind of get in gear as I mentioned we need to get real and be building a character that will allow God to give us a permanent housing, that's powerful spirit bodies. So today I'd like to spend the remaining time looking at some of the lessons that we can learn from the meaning of tabernacles or tents. There's things for us to learn in this life that hopefully uh, will motivate us, will entice us to put more effort into building something more permanent in our life now and our life yet to come. The title of the sermon is From Tense to Eternity. <clears throat> Number one, and again, I'm speaking about lessons that we should learn as we think about our impermanence, our, our, our brief lifespan, and what is ahead of us, and how we make that transition. How can we make that transition? From this difficult life to the life to come. Number one, it's a reminder, we think about the Feast of Tabernacles, that life is fleeting and meaningless apart from the great God. Without God, we have no hope. We're going to accomplish nothing lasting. There's no future for us without God, without that kind of direction in our life, being led by God's Spirit. First Peter. Turn over to first Peter. First Peter chapter one and verse twenty 1 Peter one and verse twenty-four. And it says, truthfully, all flesh is as grass. It's physical or physical, it has a limited lifespan. And all the glory of man as the flower of the of the grass. You know, a person can feel pretty glory glorified in themselves, if maybe if they're young. Energetic, uh, active, and all the glory of man, whatever glory that might be, is as the flower of the grass. It, it, it doesn't last forever. Soons begin to wither. The grass withers, it says, in its flower, faith falls away. It's a matter of time. But the word of the Lord endures forever. This physical life, including our bodies in particular. We're thinking about our own life. Well, our life really is about as permanent as the grass of the fields, of the hillsides. I think of the grass of, of the hillsides of the American Southwest and uh, many states, but California in particular where, where we live. And those hillsides are green in spring, and as time moves toward early summer, the rain stop, the grass dies, it turns brown. But that process happens over and over again year by year, but it reminds us, uh, it reminds us that we're not permanent. Uh, spring looks really nice and the grass and the flowers, but it eventually it dies. Slowly withers away in the hot summer sun. And you and I are like that. If we have the big picture, if we understand it, like that crop of grass inevitably will wither away and may live for two three months. And of course, with us human beings, it may be 70 or 80 or 90 or 100 years or longer, but even in 100 years, that's just a drop in the bucket, and we all know that, you know, after 100 years, a person, I'm sure, looks back on their life and think, wow. You know, a hundred years, a century would seem like so long. And then a person gets to the point where they realize my life is about over. It happened quickly. Psalm 103. It's a reminder of how impermanent we are. Uh, We need to do something. We need to be working towards permanence with the very character of God, at least the foundation of that character in this life. Psalm 103 and verse fourteen, Psalm one hundred three and verse fourteen. For he knows our frame, and God God made us. He understands the way we are, he programmed us genetically. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He understands that. And he has a purpose. Verse fifteen for as for man and as for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field so he flourishes for the wind passes over it and it's gone and its place remembers it no more. As it's so so passing, it's brief and that is the way we are. Incredible. We get so involved with this life for a few short years we sometimes lose sight of this fact. We lose sight of well, how easy it is to live only in the present, only thinking about the here and the now. And we know what happens, of course, in our life. We get short-sighted. Things happen naturally. Sometimes maybe the mortgage payment is late because of finances. Bills are piling up in some cases. Maybe a person loses a job, whatever, or maybe one's health begins to fail Maybe we feel a little bit lonely, and, uh, you know, that's natural sometimes when one is alone, to feel lonely, and we get so involved that we forget about our future. We forget about what God is offering us, a future beyond our imagination, incredible future, God gives us a glimpse of it. He gives us an outline in the scriptures, enough to motivate us, enough to encourage us, to want to get busy. God wants us to remember that every last one of us are are temporary, in our tents. This life is only training. It's like a laboratory. We're not going to last forever. And we will wither away, just like the, the, the grass on a thousand hills. The theme is repeated over and over and over again in the Word of God. God wants to remind us, let's get our footing. Let's, let's realize that we have a limited period of time. Same subject, same concept as mentioned in James chapter 4, verse 14. James 4, verse 14. James says, whereas you do not know will happen tomorrow. And we don't, do we? will happen tomorrow or next week or next year. We can count on God's plan in the kingdom of God, but in our own life, we really have no guarantees how long our life will be. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And like morning fog, we were over at the coast recently, uh, the Pacific coast in California, and the morning fog is there, and it feels thick, and you, you almost feel like it's going to last forever. And Within a few hours, it vanishes away. It's gone, it dries up, and it's over. Let's turn to uh, Ecclesiastes. And it's uh, good for us to remember this theme as we, as we uh, live our life, as we think about our future. We enjoy the Feast of Tabernacles, but it should also remind us of how impermanent we are we need to be about our father's business of building the character within ourselves, following the great God that God can trust and use in his family forever. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 1. I think these verses here, it, it's kind of a reminder. I'm glad, I've been so glad they are in the scriptures that no matter how much we have or could ever want, in the end, it's not going to be satisfying. It's not going to be satisfying eventually we lose it all that is potentially in death it's futility as solomon said it's, it's futile We're, you know we try to accumulate and eventually we die and we're forgotten without god that is apart from god and in verse one i said in my heart come now i will test you with mirth you know we should be happy and have joy and joke around if it's appropriate Therefore, enjoy pleasure. He's saying enjoy pleasure, but pleasure in balance. There should be pleasurable moments. But surely this also was futility or vanity. He's saying here it doesn't last forever. I said of laughter, madness. And of mirth, what does it accomplish? So if one's whole life was composed of laughter, in the end, it would be over. And one would face death. Verse 3. I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine. I would imagine Solomon wasn't uh, into drunkenness, but he thought, you know, wine, maybe you can lift me up a little bit. Maybe I can get a different perspective. While While guiding my heart with wisdom, so he retained his faculties, and how to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was good for the sons of men, to do under heaven all the days of their lives, and I made great works, and he begins to tell about how he had tremendous building projects, probably all of us would like to be able to do that, I built myself houses, we might say, and palaces, tremendous structures, and planted myself vineyards, so uh, he had vineyards, he could have his own special wines made, and a uh, he could enjoy locally made wines, probably the finest quality. And he went on, he went on from there. Uh, and he, uh, I made my, verse 5, I made myself gardens and orchards. And I think of gardens uh, like maybe Versailles. Yeah, the beauty of those gardens, uh, French Versailles. And I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. And he enjoyed fruit, probably imported Plants from different parts of the Middle East, or maybe even Europe. And I made myself water pools, running water, and pools and fountains, from which to water the growing trees of the grove. So it had a purpose, too. That water flow, probably by gravity, watered the groves. And I inquired male and female servants. So he had plenty of servants. He didn't need need, uh, electric dishwashers. He had human dishwashers. And had servants born in my house, so multi-generational servants to take care of his every need. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. So he he had the greatest possession of all the kings of Israel. And I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of the provinces precious metals, silver and gold in abundance. And I acquired male and female singers. It wasn't uh, CDs or television. This was live, surround sound. And the delights of the sons of men and musical instruments of all kinds. So he had musical instruments, and we might say orchestras, live, when he wanted it. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. And also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. So he had the resources, whatever he wanted, he could acquire it. I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was the reward from all my labor. And then I looked on the works, that my hands had done. And and he looked back on his life at that moment in time and on the labor in which I had toiled, all those efforts and plans and gardens and palaces and vineyards. And indeed, all was futility, vanity, futility. In other words, it was kind of meaningless in the big picture towards the end of his life and grasping for the wind. He couldn't hold on to it and it was going to evaporate. He was going to lose it. There was no prophet under the sun. And I turned myself to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can man do who succeeds the king? And What can anyone else do who would succeed the king with this, this, well, resource base that he had in Israel? Only what he has already done. In other words, it's been done before. In verse 15, So I said in my heart, As it happens to the fool, you know, the average individual or the foolish one who doesn't make much of his life. It also happens to me. We got the same end, the same end of our life. And why was I then more wise? And I said in my heart, this also is vanity. And you might say this is futility. It was futile, not something that will last, not something in the end that would one take to his grave, that is, a part of from the great God and his plan. Verse 16. For there is no more remembrance of the wise than of the fool forever. Since all that now is will be forgotten in the days to come. And incredibly accurate for humanity. yet futile again apart from the great God and the plan of God. And how does a wise man die? He says as the fool. In other words we all die the same way. We lose our life. We close our eyes, you know, in sleep, whether you're rich or poor. Therefore, thinking back on his life and he realized, hey, you know, it's all going to evaporate. I'm going to die. I'm going to lose it all. I hated life. I felt empty. I felt futile because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me for all his futility or vanity and grasping for the wind, no real lasting permanence. Eventually, we all die. Then I hated all my labor in which I had toiled under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And he was thinking uh, a little bit, maybe selfishly there, but he realized, hey, he wasn't going to retain it. He wasn't going to take it with him to the grave. You know, you and I are no difficult than Solomon. Every last one of us, if we're focused on this physical life and and primarily what we can acquire, what we can accomplish, what we can accumulate, in the end, we're going to live miserable lives. We're going to feel empty. We're going to feel like we're not capable of accomplishing enough, enough that's lasting. So we need to be building something lasting, don't we? We want permanence. We don't want futility. Our tents, our bodies, slowly give out, as we know, as Scripture says as well. We must be building permanents, permanent homes. Otherwise, as Solomon said, it's, it's all futility, nothing lasting, nothing to be proud about. That is, again, apart from the great God and his plan. First Corinthians chapter 15, incredible when you realize Solomon had everything potentially that life could offer physically and he said it's futile I'm frustrated until he began to turn his life back to as he began to observe let's say the plan of God and what God had in store for us 1 Corinthians 15:53 kind of a summary here summarizing briefly for this corruptible in other words this this being who is prone to corruption on the physical level, but also on the spiritual level, must put on incorruption. That's God's intent. And this mortal must put on immortality. Now that's exciting. Permanence. Lacking futility. Verse 54. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, and no aging, no No uh, fading, no dimming of the eyes. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Incredible. When we think about the future, when we think about eternal life, when we think about what God offers us, that is, if we have that desire to be fully clothed with character, with the mind of God, human nature, we might say Satan's nature, which we learn and acquire, must be replaced by God's nature if we want permanence. Our physical bodies must be replaced by spirit life, spirit bodies, fully born members of the God family in time with very powerful spirit bodies that are not prone to corruption, that will live forever. I think of it as forever forever young. That's God's intention. Spirit life is that way never short of energy, never short of recall, never short of resources in the family of God. So our lives are truly empty, meaningless, apart from the great God. Well, as we grasp the significance of living in temporary dwellings as we do at the feast, these uh, these, uh, temporary dwellings also are bodies that slowly wear out, we need to remember that number two, Point number two, that God considers us temporary sojourners in a foreign land. Sojourners and all that that means. Let's look at First Chronicles. A sojourner, you know, one who is on a journey, it's not permanent, heading for, well, potentially, eventually permanence. First Chronicles chapter 29 <clears throat> and verse 11. 1 Chronicles twenty nine verse eleven. This was the time, of course, when David was preparing at least uh, at least gold and silver and other materials for the future temple. Verse ten. Therefore, David blessed the Lord before all the assembly, and David said, "Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness." of I think this is really inspiring uh, scripture here and prayer. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all it is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Verse 12, with riches and honor come from you. And, and they do and even more so as we look forward to the kingdom of God, and you reign over all, God's in control. In your hand is power and might God can do uh, as he wishes for our good. And in your hand it it, it is to make great and to give strength to all. That's God's intention. That's his desire to give us strength to see us into his family and eventually the rest of humanity, if they're willing. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. You know, when we step back and think about what God is offering us, our future. But who am I? And I I think we can think that way. Who are we that God has offered us this permanence, even our calling, being chosen, called? Who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this, Of course, we're here at the Feast of Tabernacles offering to God financially, spiritually, and we, we thank God for the blessings that he's brought into our life. For all things come from you, meaning the great God. He is the source of every good and perfect gift. And of your own we have given you. And of course, so it is that whatever we give to God in our life comes from God in the first place. He just loans it to us. Verse 15, for we are aliens and pilgrims before you, and we're pilgrims, as were all our fathers. And our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. Without hope, that is, of course, apart from God. We have no real permanence. And David realized that. He he recognized that we're pilgrims and aliens, sojourners. And that of course we are real permanence is the kingdom of God. It's not this life. And we are representatives, of course, as sojourners. First Peter, let's turn to first Peter chapter one. First Peter one and verse seventeen. First Peter one, 17. And Scripture says, in it, and if you call on the Father, Without respect of persons, I'm going to read from the King James, and without respect of persons, judges according to every man's work, what we do in this life. Pass the time of you of your sojourning here in fear. Our sojourning, our, our journey in fear, meaning respect and honor the great God. We've got a purpose for our life, and of course we travel this road with that in mind. And what is a sojourner? Well, according to Webster's Unabridged Third New International Dictionary, gives the following definition. One, a temporary stay as of a traveler in a foreign land. Or two, to stay as a temporary resident. Well, you know, as sojourners living in temporary dwellings in this life, even in our physical bodies, we are resident aliens. You think about that. It's Satan's world. Uh, We live here for our whole life, but we're aliens. We're we're sons of God. We are potentially, hopefully, ambassadors of Christ, of a foreign government. You know, our son-in-law and daughter, Rod and Dana McNair, some years ago, were, were sojourners they were resident aliens, of course, living in the Philippines for three years, working with uh, the people of God who were overseeing the work in the Philippines. And they were there a few years as, uh, as resident aliens, as sojourners. And they loved the brethren in the churches in the Philippines very much. But they realized they would not be citizens of the country. They were resident aliens in the Philippines and citizens of another country, they were citizens of the United States. In a sense, that should be similar for all of us in this life. As we, as we see in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter eleven, we'll turn to Hebrews chapter eleven and verse Hebrews eleven, verse eight, verse eight. It says, "By faith, Abraham obeyed." When he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out knowing, not knowing, where he was going. And verse 9. By faith he dwelt, or the, the King James says, he sojourned in the land of promise. As in a foreign country dwelling in tents, temporary dwellings, with Isaac and Jacob with the heirs with him of the same promise. So he lived as a foreigner, never a citizen of that land, never a citizen fully, just a foreigner living in tents or tabernacles. Verse 10, For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. You might say Abraham was was waiting for a permanent residency in the coming kingdom of God. Ultimately, the heavenly city of Jerusalem in time. Verse 13. These all died in faith, of course, uh, all the great men and women in the Old Testament and the New, and also overviewed in Hebrews 11. They all died in faith. They had confidence in the future, in the great God, not having received the promises in their physical bodies in this life, but having seen them afar off. Of course, as we know, they had vision. They could see the promises of God, the kingdom of God in their mind's eye. It was real to them. They were assured of them. They were assured of the promises. Um, They didn't doubt God and his capacity to bring uh, the kingdom of God and their permanent residence as well with powerful spirit bodies. And they embraced them. Those promises they embraced. They held on to them tight like you embrace a a young child or a mother does, a young baby. They embraced them and confessed they weren't ashamed to talk about the journey and where they were headed. And they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You might say they had true vision. They had vision of those permanent dwellings, of course, yet future. But they could see it in their mind's eye. It was real, more real than life itself. And you and I fit exactly into this pattern. Our stay here in this society is limited. We have limited years. Our citizenship is not of this country. It's not of this age. We must not get entangled in this society, in Satan's world. If we fully adopt citizenship in the society and all that that means, I mean its customs and its way of life fully, a worldly life, way of life and its state of mind if we become just like they are that is those in society God in the end will reject us and we don't want that we want we want God to accept us we want God to say well done good and faithful servant so God's people before the end of the age they are strongly encouraged to come out of society spiritually to leave its values behind permanently leave them behind it's difficult but we have to come out of this society we're told in scripture and i heard another voice from heaven saying come out of her my people lest you share in her sins unless you receive her plagues that's revelation 18 verses 4 and 5 so we're told at the very end of the age to come out of society we don't want the plagues of society Uh, we want to receive god's blessings and his protection That's a warning to all of us in the book of Revelation. We must not get entangled in Satan's society, in his way of life, in the world, in his mindset. We might ask ourselves, how much do we love the world? How much do we love what the world has to offer? 1 John 2.15, a reminder uh, as we evaluate ourselves, we think about it. In God's standard, first John two fifteen. In verse fifteen, we read, Do not love the world or the things in the world. Don't get overly attracted to impermanence, the things in this age. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's that it's that simple, it's that straightforward. We can't love this age, or we're not readying ourselves for the age of the kingdom of God. So if we're infatuated. With this society, we haven't fully rejected its ruler, the God of this age. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, all the sensual desires, including the opposite sex, others that don't belong to us, but the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, all the material desires that we maybe think we just got to have, All the things that we think would make us happy if we really had, well, the lust of our eyes, those material things. And the pride of life. Speaking of status, position, people's esteem, self elevation, a need to be admired by others, and all the status and esteem we could ever have in this life, it's like a vapor, it's gone at death, we're forgotten. Do we look for the approval of man? Or do we look for the approval of the great God? Who can give us what is really lasting? Obviously, we know the answer. Not society, not this world, but the great God. Verse 17. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, it's going to pass away. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Good summary. A very pointed summary this satanic system in short order and its values will pass away it will soon be on the way out what is truly lasting and permanent is the permanent dwelling that house not made with hands Uh, the spirit bodies eternal life god's going to give that to us god's going to give that to us if we finish our training if we Build with God's guidance, the character, the righteous garments that he wants. Let's move on to a a third aspect. And we have a great responsibility as foreigners, as sojourners, to be properly representing our government, the kingdom of God. So we need to not bring confusion to reflect wrongly on the family of God. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, we are ambassadors for Christ. The motto, of course, of Ambassador College, we're representatives of a foreign government, ambassadors for Christ. And you and I represent the government of God, hopefully more and more. As ambassadors of that government, we carry a huge responsibility to represent the family of the government of God. We are the ambassador, the representative of that government. And we need to make sure that we bring honor to that government, not dishonor, that is, in a foreign land. Christ told us, you are the light of the world, Matthew 5:14. Are we? Are we truly the light of the world? How deep does this go in your life? How deep does it go in my life? Do we truly radiate God's way of life? You know, showing outgoing concern to all people in this society doesn't come easily. We know that. We all know that. It's like swimming upstream sometimes against the current. At times it seemed like it would be much easier to ignore the world and solely concentrate on our physical family or our church family our spiritual family. But is that what God commands us? We're told in Matthew 5 to let your light so shine before men. So we must let our light shine, uh, not necessarily our mouths, but our light to be an example to not bring dishonor on the family of God, on our foreign government, on the government of God. One principal way our light can shine, of course, in Scripture in Romans, as it says, if it is possible... As much as depends on you within your power, live peaceably with all men. Romans twelve, eighteen. Sometimes it's not possible, but we should strive to live peaceably with all men. So if someone is rude to us, and it happens, are we rude right back? You know, because we've got it right. Do we express outrage, for example, at anyone who, well, we feel have it really lived exactly up to their obligation and their responsibility. Perhaps the waiter at the restaurant or at the feast or otherwise who hasn't lived up to our expectations of that particular meal, are we going to give them a piece of our mind or are we going to be a light to the world? Paul had more to say about this in the same chapter of Romans 12, and I will turn there briefly. Romans 12 and verse 17. Romans 12 and verse 17. And we read. Repay no one evil for evil. So we can't go there. It's a losing proposition. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible as much as depends on you. Live peaceably with all men. We got that. Verse 19. Beloved. Do not avenge yourselves but rather give but but rather give place to wrath let it go for it is written vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord so we know that's the case we don't have to pay people back when they treat us unjustly therefore if you if your enemy is hungry feed him That is contrary to common wisdom, isn't it? But that is the wisdom of God. And if he is thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. You're going to confuse him. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Incredible. Yes, we are overcome by evil from time to time when we respond in kind. We cannot allow others' actions, their attitudes to kind of control us, to kind of treat us, uh, control us like a, let's say, a puppet on a string. And as temporary residents in this society, uh, we will be tried through tr- troubling times ahead of us. We know that. Our tents will continue to fray as we get a little older, times are difficult as the years go by. But remember this, point number four, these fraying tents that we all live in going to be exchanged by powerful glorified bodies and that time is almost here paul said in corinthians but someone will say how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come there is one glory of the sun another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars they're different for one star differs from another star in glory, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, as we all are. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. That was 1 Corinthians 15:35. And 41 through 44 what an awesome future we have as we analyze it we'll be raised and we'll have a very powerful spirit body without aches and pains and the whole aging process and injuries exchanging our tents for eternity incredible incredible future the great god has offered us you know probably every one of us have a little bit of a kid still inside us at times few weeks ago, I was watching some ducks fly overhead and I immediately thought, wow, you know, won't that be great to be able to see God's creation like birds gliding on the wind currents? Won't that be fantastic? And that sense of freedom will be multiplied when the physical restraints that limits us will no longer be present with us, its past aching joints sore muscles, physical degeneration, injury, disease, all left behind. No longer having to sleep eight hours a day, kind of a waste of time as a spirit being. Today, eight hours a day or so, unconscious, that's gone. Having unlimited energy, never rolling out of bed tired, but energized, able to accomplish so much more in God's kingdom. Having perfect mental clarity, great recall, total recall, Becoming effective teachers as well, incredible. Can you imagine the excitement at the beginning of the millennium, for example, of traveling to Jerusalem, Um, I'm sure, being updated, being brought up to speed by Jesus Christ himself when we're no longer dependent on these human brains that kind of work kind of slowly and we'll be able to kind of learn Almost, uh, can I say, almost at warp speed, like downloading off of the Internet. We can learn that fast. No longer, let's say, a physical being, but a very powerful spirit being with a spirit mind. Part of our training as full-born sons of God likely include travel, I would imagine. Haven't you wanted to see more of the earth than you've seen? Travel around the world, see more of God's creation, the beauty of God's creation, people in your cities, And your areas of responsibility, they'll still be sleeping eight hours a day, I'm sure. And you will have time. You'll have time at night to travel, often, to meet with other members of the family of God around the earth as well. Remember, we're all family. Those who are resurrected in the first resurrection, all family. I think we'll want to get to know everyone and their experiences over the last 6,000 years. And it will inspire us and help make us more effective in teaching other examples. I'm looking forward to getting to know David and Daniel. And I might say the, the real Peter, Paul, and Mary and all the historical, well, histories of the saints of God, including some of the, the lesser known spiritual giants like Barnabas, the son of encouragement. You know, what a gift, the son of encouragement. And I'm also looking forward to developing more musically, being able to, can I say, sing like an angel, possibly, to honor the great God and his family and his plan. We see in Luke chapter 2, thinking of the angels and their ability, even their musical ability. Luke 2, verse 13, And suddenly there was an angel, timing of Christ's birth, there was an angel with the angel, a multitude of, of the heavenly host praising God and saying, and I'm sure singing, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And exciting that will be when we can participate musically as well, expressing ourselves. And most importantly, we'll all look forward to making a difference on the planet, the guiding And teaching thousands of human beings God's way of life. The way of life, of course, that will bring joy and happiness and peace and success in their own life. And we will lead them and guide them and see them succeed. And we will not lack resources to get the job done as we often have today. There will be unlimited resources, the resources of the family of God on the planet. And we'll have the time and we'll have the energy. And we'll have the wisdom and the leadership of the Creator Himself to bring peace to humanity. And in time, we'll be able to bring the same opportunity to all humanity to exchange their tents for eternity. What an awesome future that God offers us. And We have so much to accomplish and we have so much to look forward to and fulfillment in the family of God. You know it's it's beyond our capacity to conceive of the joy and the fulfillment as part of the family of God that we will have in a few short years when we can exchange our tents for eternity. Let's conclude. Let's close in First Peter five ten. First Peter chapter five and verse ten. And it says, but but may. The God of all grace, who called us into, who called us, properly translated, into his eternal glory. And you will be glorified by Christ Jesus. After you have suffered a while, that's our life. We suffer a while, it's difficult, we're trained, we take tests. May God perfect and establish and strengthen and settle you. You know, that's what God wants to do in our lives, to encourage us, to build us up, to settle us, to strengthen us. If we fully allow God to work in our lives, our spiritual birth, it comparatively is just around the corner. And verse 11, finally, To Him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And the ultimate outcome, the glory and the dominion forever. as God's expands his family throughout the galaxies throughout the universe what an awesome future we have that we have ahead of us we've talked about it to a small degree let's live up to our potential in this life so god will exchange our tents for eternity